Well, hey, welcome to First Church. So glad you guys are here. And I'm excited to begin this new series which we're calling Mixtape. And over the next couple of weeks, we're, you're going to get a mix of sermons and talk about some things that we feel like our church needs to hear, especially living in the culture we live in. So we're excited for this series. But also, three weeks from today, on April 22nd, we're going to have a big day here at uh, First Church. And we want you guys to come and be a part of what's going to take place because it's going to be just a great day in the life of our congregation, the history of our church. So we hope that you'll be here on April 22nd. That's all we're going to say about it for right now, but you'll hear more later on. But for those of you who don't know, we are one church that meets in multiple different locations, and so we have family this morning meeting out at uh, Vertigris and Stone Canyon. So if you would, put your hands together and welcome them into our family room here today. Well, last summer, my family went to a park, and as we were there, I noticed some kids playing a game with a bottle over on a sidewalk, and they were trying to flip the bottle and get it to land on its head, land upright. You guys know what I'm talking about? How many of you guys have seen kids play this game before? How many of you have been annoyed by kids playing this game before? I have. It can get annoying after a while. But I watched them play, and I found this video on YouTube of this kid who's kind of become an expert at this, and he can flip a bottle over and over again and get it to land on its head. If you want to take a look at some of these clips, he's really really good at this. Like I said, kind of become an expert. He can just do it over and over again. But after a while, he got bored of flipping a bottle, so he decided to do some more challenging, a marker. And look what he does. He's able to do that as well. And I love his reaction. You know, he blows his own mind. So then he moves on to try something else, a little bit more difficult, to a crayon. I thought, there is no way he's going to be able to flip a crayon and let it land upright. But sure enough, boom, he does it. And again, his reaction, it's like, I'm impressing myself here. Uh, and then he tries something even more difficult than that, a pencil. And I thought, no way. And sure enough, he does it again. And again, I just love how he reacts. He's just so impressed that he's able to accomplish that feat. But you know, I show you those clips because I think that kid kept asking himself a question that probably you've asked yourself at some time or another. And it's this, what's next? All of us at some point in our lives have worked hard to achieve something, saved up money to get something, we've tried to earn something, and once we finally got it, we've then wondered, what's next? We've all been there. We've all done it. And I wonder this morning, what would it take to get you to stop asking the question, what's next? What is it if you got it, if you received it, if you earned it? would get you to stop asking the question, what's next? What is it that would leave you totally satisfied? What is it that would leave you feeling content? What is it that would really, and I mean really, make you happy? If you could ask for anything in the world that would leave you feeling that way, what exactly would it be? I mean, let's say you and I went out and had lunch today, and I sat across from the table with you and... I looked at you right in the eye and I said, I have the ability and the power, the means to give you whatever you want. Ask for it right now and I'll give it to you. What would you ask for? At the last church I served, I had a chance to teach one evening our third through fifth graders and I asked them that very question. If you got one wish, if you could ask for anything, what would you ask for? And their answers were kind of comical. Uh, one little boy spoke up immediately, and he said, I want a million dollars. And I figured somebody would ask for money. And then he, as soon as he said it, he changed his mind. He said, no, 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 I want an Xbox. And I thought, well, uh, with a million dollars, you could buy a bunch of Xboxes. And he said, yeah, but I don't want to have to go buy it. I want it right now. And I thought, well, that's typical of kids, isn't it? Another little girl said, I want an iPhone. I was like, okay, out of all things in 
the world. You want an iPhone? All right. Why do you want an iPhone? She said, I want to be able to Snapchat. I was like, again, anything in the world, and that's what you want, be able to Snapchat. That's going to leave you happy and satisfied. Another little boy spoke up. I kind of felt sorry for him. He said, you know, I really want to pass the fourth grade. And I, I thought, oh, that's so sad. You know, that's what he wanted more than anything. Another little girl said, I really want a husband. I thought, you're in like the fifth grade. You know, what's wrong with you? Your parents could have problems out of you. Want a husband? I, I didn't expect that one at all. But then there was one other little girl who said, you know, if I could have anything, I want to see my grandma again. Because she just passed away a few weeks ago. That one got me. If you could ask for anything in the world, what would you ask for? Now, if we sit at a table together for lunch, you know I don't have the ability, I don't have the means, I don't have the power to give you whatever you want. But what if God joined us for lunch? What if God pulled up a chair to our table and asked us that question? Because in 1 Kings chapter 3, he asked that very question to a young king named Solomon. In 1 Kings 3 verse 5, God asked Solomon, What do you want? Ask and I will give it to you. Now, I don't have the means, power, ability to give you whatever you want, but God does. How would you answer that question if God looked at you and said, what do you want? Ask, and I'll give it to you. Well, while you're thinking about that, let me let you know what Solomon asked for. Solomon asked for wisdom. And this greatly pleased God. Because Solomon could have asked for anything. You know, most men, they would have asked for Money or power, prestige, fame, maybe women, you know. They would have asked for a lot of stuff that would have brought them temporary satisfaction, temporary gratification. But not Solomon. Solomon asked for wisdom. And the Bible says in 1 Kings 3, verse 10, this pleased God. It says, the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for wisdom. So God replied, because you have asked for wisdom in governing my people with justice and have not asked for a long life or wealth or the death of your enemies, the stuff that other men would ask for, I will give you what you ask for. I will give you a wise and understanding heart such as no one else has had or ever will have. And I will also give you what you did not ask for, riches and fame. No other king in all the world will be compared to you for the rest of your life. So Solomon could have asked for anything. And instead of asking for the typical stuff that men might ask for, he asked for wisdom. And because he asked for, for wisdom... God gave him the other stuff that men would typically ask for. Long life, wealth, riches, fame, power, prestige, and the like. But God placed a condition upon all these gifts. He said, I'm going to give you all this in 1 Kings 3.14 if, if you follow me and obey my decrees and my commands as your father David. And so for a while, that's what Solomon did. Solomon lived life with God. Solomon lived life for God. And God continued to bless him. But after a while, Solomon's focus shifted. His focus shifted from God to himself. His focus shifted from the one who created him and gave him all this stuff to his stuff. And he just wanted more. And so Solomon took the wisdom that God gave him and he misused it. And he misused this wisdom to get more wealth. Now, by all calculations, Solomon was the wealthiest man who ever lived. Even when you calculate modern-day inflation rates, he's the wealthiest man who ever lived in the history of the world, and yet he still didn't have enough. The more money he got, he just wanted more. 
And so he misused the wisdom that God gave him to get more wealth. And then when that didn't satisfy him, he misused the wealth he had to get more wine and women. And he hoped that one of these things, if not all of these things, would bring him happiness, would bring him contentment or some sense of joy. And yet, sadly, none of it did. No matter how much he got, he just wanted more. Let me see by a show of hands at all of our campuses. How many of you guys have kids or grandkids who like the Despicable Me movies? You guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah, the Minion movies. Alice loved those movies, loves those movies. Uh, Addie, she doesn't quite understand what's going on in the movies, but she likes to watch them. I think it's just all the colors and stuff. But this past summer, McDonald's, uh, for their toy and their Happy Meal, they were giving out Minion toys. And that's like the perfect storm for my son, because I've told you before, he loves McDonald's, his favorite restaurant. And once he found out that they were giving out Minion toys, he just had to get the entire set. He wanted every one of them. And we found out that they were giving out these Minion toys uh, when we went on vacation last year. We took a week to go to the North American Christian Convention as a family. Then after that, we just had a vacation week. And so for two weeks, we were on the road out of town. And typically, we were on the road like that. We eat out more than normal. And every time that we would, it came time for lunch or dinner or whatever, Alex would always say, let's go to McDonald's. And Alice and I would kind of groan, but he knows me well enough. And he would say, Daddy, it's cheap because he knows it's more affordable than other restaurants and so you know that's music to my ears and so we'd go to McDonald's and over that two-week period I kid you not Alex collected the entire set of minions and every time we'd go into a restaurant the first thing he would ask is I wonder which one they have I wonder if they have one I don't have and he had me walk up and Asked the people at the counter to try to find out. And so our car on vacation was full of these Minion toys. And Alex got every one they had. In fact, he got some duplicates even. And it was funny, after he would get one that he didn't have, he would be so excited. Oh, I got one I don't have. And he'd play with it for like a minute. And then he would look at me and say, Daddy, I wonder which one I'm going to get next. I'm thinking, you just got that one. You know, enjoy that one. But he was always wanting to know which one he would get next. And, you know, we can laugh at that when it comes to kids and say, oh, that's just how children are. But we as adults, sometimes we live with the same attitude. We're always wondering what's next. We're always hoping that we will find something that will add flavor, excitement, meaning to our lives. We're always asking that question that I mentioned earlier, what's next? And so what is it for you? What is it that... Once you finally get it, once you finally achieve it, you'll be happy. Some of you in the room today, you want a better job. And if I could just get that promotion or just get that other job, then I'd be happy. For some of you, you want a new car. If I could just get a new car, then I'd be happy. For other of you, it's more money. If I get that promotion and get a raise or whatever, then I'd be happy. Some of you today are single, and you desperately want to be married. So if you could just find the right person and then marry that person, then you think, I'll be happy. Some of you, we're getting to the end of the semester, and you're just hoping, if I just pass my classes, then I'll be happy. Others of you, you're on the verge of retiring. Oh, once I'm retired, then I'll be happy. Others of you, you probably just want your social situation to change. If I could just get better friends, or if I could just move up the social ladder then I'd be happy. What is it for you? What is it that once you get it, that you'll still be happy, 
still have joy, contentment, after the buzz wears off. Was he Solomon in the eyes of the world? He had it all. He tried it all. He did it all. He chased after every pleasure this world has to offer. He chased after every pleasure under the sun, trying to find happiness. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, Solomon admits all the stuff he tried. He talks about all the stuff he did. See, Ecclesiastes is kind of Solomon's journal as an old man. He gets to the end of his life, and he's reflecting on his life, and he writes about everything he tried, everything he did, everything he had. And if he were standing on the stage with me today, he would tell you. He would say, I was a party animal. I did whatever I possibly could to bring a smile to my face. Hey, I, I turned to wine. And I got wasted every chance I could. I indulged in the choices of foods. And I would eat and I would eat and I would eat. And I loved to be around others. I would party with the, with the best of them. In the words of Hank Williams Jr., all my rowdy friends are coming over tonight. Probably didn't think you are Hank Williams Jr. today, did you? He partied hard. He would say, I bought stuff and more stuff. Houses, mansions, land, cars, clothes, toys, you name it. If money could buy it, Solomon had it. And Solomon had women. And I mean a lot of women. The Bible says Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. By anybody's definition, that is a lot of women. In fact, my dad always says on the flip side, that's a whole lot of mothers-in-law as well. I'm not sure about that, but he had a lot servants and slaves he had power prestige fame and fortune Solomon would stand up here today and say I had it all I tried it all I did it all and Solomon as an old man gets to the end of his life and he reflects on everything he had and everything he did and he reaches this conclusion about his life. Listen to what he says in Ecclesiastes 1 verse 2. Meaningless. Meaningless. Utterly meaningless. Everything. Everything I had, everything I tried, everything I did is meaningless. As a matter of fact, I believe meaningless is the theme of the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon uses that word 38 times in this book. And it's the Hebrew word Habel. If you would, on the count of three, say that with me. Habel. One, two, three. Habel. Now go home and impress your neighbors and tell them you know some Hebrew. And that'll make you sound smart, okay? This word Habel in Hebrew literally means emptiness, futility. A vapor that vanishes quickly and leaves nothing behind. Solomon gets to the end of his life and he stops to evaluate his life and he says, Hey, I had it all. I tried it all. I did it all, and it all left me feeling empty. None of it satisfied. None of it left me feeling content. None of it brought me joy and happiness. And here's the real tragedy. We followed in Solomon's footsteps. 3,000 years may have passed between the time that Solomon lived in our day and age, and we're still chasing after Habel. We're still chasing after the wind. We're still pursuing shadows that aren't really there. Because we live in a culture that believes if we could just get a little bit more, then we'd be happy. 
If I could just make the team, then I'd be happy. If I could just be part of that club, then I'd be happy. If I could just get the better job, then I'd be happy. If I could just find the perfect person to marry, then I'd be happy. If I could just have kids, then I'd be happy. If I could just get a better house or a better car or more money, then I'd be happy. If I could just have closer friends, if I could just live somewhere else, move away and start over, then I'd be happy. And those of us who have lived with this mindset, we get what Solomon is saying. Because we know getting more doesn't lead to happiness. By itself, getting more just leads to greater forms of emptiness. And as Solomon reflects on his life, he feels totally and completely lost. Because everything he's lived for has left him empty in the end. And Solomon, as an old man, finally comes to his senses. See, he's been using his wisdom that God gave him. He's been misusing it in a way that God never wanted him to use it. But now he starts to use it for good again, and he finally comes to his senses, and he realizes what he's been missing. And in Ecclesiastes 12.1, he gives us a warning. He's writing to the next generation, those who would come after him. And listen to what he tells us. Remember your Creator. While you are young, before the bad times come, before the years come when you say, I have wasted my life. In other words, Solomon is telling us if you want to move from a meaningless life to a meaningful life, here's the key, here's the answer. Remember your Creator. Solomon is saying, don't do what I did. Don't waste your life. Don't waste the days that God has given you. If you want to live a life with meaning, never forget God. Always place Him at the center of your life. And notice what he says. He says, remember your Creator while you are young. Now some of you may be looking at yourself and say, I don't really consider myself young anymore. What he's saying there is, you still have time. No matter how many days you have left, your life isn't over yet. So don't waste the days you have left. Whatever you've done, whatever you've become, it doesn't matter. You still have today. And who you are today can determine who you will be for all eternity. So no matter how many days you have left, live them wisely. Don't waste them living for Xboxes, iPhones, and Minions when God wants to offer you something that lasts. And so listen to Solomon's conclusion about life. Remember, at this point now, he's using his wisdom for good again, the way God wants him to. And look at what he says about life. Ecclesiastes 12, 13. He says, now all has been heard. I've told you everything I did, everything I had, everything I tried. Now all has been heard, and here is the conclusion of the matter. He's saying, this is what life is really all about. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Now, if you're reading that verse in the New International Version, you know that word duty is in brackets, and there's a reason for it. It wasn't in the original Hebrew. Really, what Solomon says here is, fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole of man. In other words, this is what it takes to live a whole life, a full life, a complete life. Fear God and keep His commandments. In other words, you want to live a content life? You want to live a life where you're not always asking what's next? This is what you do. Live in relationship with God and do life His way. Because Solomon is letting us know, no matter what you might think, God created you, He loves you, and He really does have your best interest at heart. And only doing life His way, only by doing life His way, 
Will you find true contentment and peace in life? Everything else that you might chase after, ultimately it's chasing after the wind. Ultimately, it's Habel. Here one day and gone the next. Now, as a kid, I really like to play with bubbles. I don't know if you guys did or not, but when you walked in the room today, you should have got a little container of bubbles. If you did, go and pull that out right now. Alex, my son, he loves to play with bubbles. Addie can't blow bubbles yet, but she likes to watch them. And we love to play with bubbles. And so I'm going to take you back to your childhood just a little bit this morning, and we're going to blow bubbles in church. Now, this is probably something you've never done in church before. You may never be asked to do that again in church, but we're going to have a little bit of fun because I think church should be fun. And so don't get upset with me it's just a one-time thing don't send me emails or cards or anything like that we're just going to have a little bit of fun all right and we're going to blow bubbles together and hopefully have a fun time doing it so go ahead and pop the top if you need to or get your wand out get ready to go and i'm gonna when i say go then i want everybody to just blow bubbles together and hopefully we can fill this room with bubbles you guys ready okay ready set go go ahead Man, you guys need some practice. You're not very good at this, some of you. No, <laughs> keep blowing. It may take a while to get the hang of it. Somebody's having fun. <laughs> keep blowing. <laughs> Somebody's taking pictures, putting us on social media, I bet. <laughs> All right, so for a few more seconds here. Okay, go ahead and stop. Go ahead and stop. Good. Put your bubbles away for now. All right, I got them all over me, but I had fun doing it. Now, if you got mad about blowing bubbles in church, I want you to think about this. During Christmas, we have a candlelight service. We give you guys an open flame during church service. So if that's okay, I think blowing bubbles is all right as well. All right? You know, but here's the thing about bubbles. They're a lot of fun, and they're neat to watch for a few seconds. But you know what? After a few seconds, guess what? They're gone, right? And sadly, I think a lot of us live life chasing after bubbles. You know, my career, my status, my achievements, here one day and gone the next. The stuff I own, my house, my car, my clothes, here one day and gone the next. My computer, my iPad, my iPhone. Here one day, gone the next. The TV I pay for, the movies I pay money to go watch, even the sporting events I go see, even Kentucky basketball. <laughs> Here one day and gone the next. All the stuff that I've pursued, you know, the temptations I've given into that I shouldn't have, the desires I've selfishly wanted. Here one day and gone the next. Most of what we live for is Habel, chasing after the wind. It's bubbles. Here one moment gone, the next. And sadly, I think this describes so many lives in our culture today. 
And that describes Solomon's life. He lived for meaningless things. And Solomon is telling us, he's warning us, don't make the same mistakes I made. If you want to move from a meaningless life to a meaningful life, remember your Creator. Put God at the center of your life because your relationship with Him is the only thing that will bring you contentment and peace in life. It's the only thing that ultimately lasts. Because here's the thing. Our tendency, it's not to reject God. Most of us in this room today, we will never out and out reject God or deny God. Our tendency isn't to reject God. Our tendency is just to forget about Him. We get so busy chasing bubbles that we just forget about Him. And Solomon is telling us, take God with you wherever you go. Never leave home without Him. Make sure that He is always with you. Do life His way. So how do we do this? How do we make sure that we do life with God? Well, let me give you some suggestions here this morning. And the first is this. Spend intentional time with God. In other words, pursue God intentionally. Now, I know that may seem obvious, but it amazes me how many people claim to have a relationship with God, but they don't set aside intentional time with Him. They don't make time for God. They just kind of give Him their leftovers. It's like, okay, if I get done with my day and still have a little bit of leftover time, you know, then I'll pray or then I'll read my Bible or, okay, I'll go to church if I can fit it in my schedule. They just give God their leftovers. And here's the thing, you will never trust someone until you actually get to know them. And the way you get to know somebody is by making time for them. Back at the last church I served, I did a whole lot of premarital counseling, and I would tell young couples who would come in and want to talk about getting married, I would say, after you get married, make sure you continue to date your spouse. Make sure you continue to make time for your spouse. Because once you get married and the bills start coming in and you have kids and life moves forward, you get busy. And if you're not making time for your spouse, you'll just pass by one another. And you might be living under the same roof, but not really have a growing relationship with one another. So make time for your spouse. And that's true when it comes to our relationship with God as well. We need to make time for Him. If we don't make time for Him, we'll get so busy living life that we'll forget all about Him. And what I have discovered is the more time I spend with God, the more I fall in love with Him. The more I want to spend time with Him because I realize... He's not out to get me. He's not out to trap me. He's not just waiting to zap me or punish me every time I do something wrong. That's not the God who created me. The God who created me loves me and wants to have a relationship with me. He's full of forgiveness and grace. And the more time that I spend with Him, the more time I want to spend with Him. The more time I spend with Him, I want to stop running from Him and just be with Him. I don't want to replace Him with bubbles. Because nothing's more important to me than Him. You know, Allison and me, we have to set aside time to make sure that we go on dates. We have to set aside time just for us. Because if not, with kids and life and everything else, we won't have that time. And so we have date nights. And we say, okay, on this day, we're going to go out to make sure we still have time for one another. And a few months ago, I told Allison, I said, okay, we're going to go on a date night, and I'll take you to any restaurant you want to go to. We'll go have dinner and a movie. And she's like, okay. Uh, and I said, where do you want to go? I'll take you anywhere. And she looked at me, and she said, Burger King? 
And I thought, Burger King? Really? I'll take you anywhere. And you want to go to Burger King? She said, yeah, I'm really craving a Whopper. I want to go to Burger King. I was like, all right, whatever. So we went to Burger King. That's what she wanted. And you know what? We had a blast. We had a lot of fun. In fact, we got in the car afterwards, and here's a selfie we took. It's us wearing our Burger King crowns. Look at that. I mean, we had a blast. It was fun. You know why? Because it wasn't about where we were. It was about being with one another. And that's true for God and us as well. Guys, sometimes life is tough. It's not always easy. It's not always a bed of roses. But God has promised, you do life with me, you spend your time with me, you'll always have joy. You'll always have peace. You may not always get everything you want, but you'll always have joy in my presence. Always feel content and satisfied in my presence. So if you want to do life God's way, first of all, you've got to spend intentional time with Him. But second, you need to spend time in God's creation as well. See, at the core of God's identity is the fact that He is a creator. In fact, He's the creator. And I'm convinced that the more time that we spend in God's creation, the more we will be amazed by Him. You may have never thought about this, but we were created to live in a garden, the Garden of Eden, which reflected God's glory. But because of sin, we were kicked out of that garden. Now, where do we spend the majority of our time? Between four walls, right? In offices, and cubicles, in our homes, or in our cars. We were created to enjoy God's creation. And as we enjoy it, we realize just how big He is, how awesome He is. I mean, God, He created sunrises and sunsets. When's the last time that you pulled up a lawn chair in your driveway, or on your back patio, just watched the sunset? And realize that the God who created the cosmos is the God who knows you by name and who loves you as His own. God created mountains and fields, rivers and oceans. Spend time in God's creation. And the more you spend time in His creation, the more the problems you're dealing with won't seem so big anymore. Because you'll realize just how awesome, just how amazing, just how seismic our God really is. That's why Numbers 14, 21 says, The glory of the Lord fills the whole earth. Not too long ago, we had one of those real rainy days, and it was just pouring down the rain, and Alex wanted to go outside and play, and I wouldn't let him because it was raining, and so we pulled up some chairs on our front porch, and the four of us as a family just sat and watched it rain. I know that sounds boring, but it wasn't. We had a lot of fun watching it rain, and at one point, Alex looked at me, and he said, Daddy, why does it rain? And I thought, well, how do I explain this to a four-year-old? And so I hope I did okay. This is off the cuff. I said, well, you know, the earth gets thirsty, and rain is God's way of giving it a drink. And so by sending rain, the earth gets nourishment, we get water, animals get water, which ultimately becomes our food, and then plants grow, and we all need water. So God gives, us, gives the earth a drink when it gets thirsty. It's what we need. And Alex looked at me, and with these big old eyes, he said, Daddy, God really does love us, doesn't he? And you know, that's what spending time in God's creation will do. It will remind you of who God is, just how great He is, just how awesome, magnificent He is. Third, if you want to do life with God, do life His way, then also it's important that you spend time with those who spend time with Him. See, Solomon was surrounded by people. I mean, he had people around him all the time, and he partied with the best of them but he had no relationships that brought him closer to God. He had no one 
who was spiritually investing in him. I mean, Solomon was surrounded by people, particularly women, but none of those relationships were spiritually good for him. In 1 Kings 11, verse 1, it says, Yeah, Solomon loved foreign women. He had a bunch of them. But they ended up turning his heart away from the Lord. See, we all need spiritually minded people who will yoke themselves together with us, who will do life with us, who will motivate us and encourage us and hold us accountable. But if the people who have the most influence on us are people who are not close to God, then eventually those people may just lead us away from God. When you look throughout the pages of Scripture and you see all the great men and women that God used, see, most of them had a godly friend, a godly support group to motivate them to follow God. David had Jonathan. Ruth had Naomi. Joshua had Caleb. Elijah had Elisha. Moses had Aaron. Paul had Barnabas, Silas, Timothy, and others. Even Jesus had the 12 disciples. And Solomon, he had... Nobody. Exactly. See, God wants us to spend time with people who in turn spend time with Him. And like I said, if the greatest influence in your life are people who don't spend time with God, then they may end up turning your heart away from God, just like Solomon. And last, if you want to do life with God, it's important that you spend time introducing others to God. We are surrounded by Solomon's. Every single day, we encounter people who are living on empty, living for meaningless things. And the more we help people move from a meaningless life to a meaningful life, the more meaning we ourselves will see in our own lives. You see, what gets me out of bed every single morning is seeing people who have had life robbed from them come out of their spiritual concussion and realize that they were created for more. Because of Jesus, the fog lifts and the cobwebs come down and a light bulb comes on and they realize that they were created for more than the emptiness they've been living for. They were created for more than the cookie-cutter existence they've settled for. The more I help people realize that they were created for more than a reckless life of sin, that they were created to be recklessly loved by their Heavenly Father, the more I realize I was created to be recklessly loved by my Father. All of us were created for more than Xboxes and iPhones and Minions. We were created to live life with God. And that's what Solomon wants us to realize. That's the challenge that he's giving us. What he's telling us is whatever you do, don't settle for bubbles that are here one day and gone the next. Live for what matters. Remember your creator because honestly most of what people live for it's stuff that really is here one day and gone the next the homes the boats the toys the social games from the pedigrees to the pedicures from the who's who to the who's not it's all a childish charade in the mind of god it's a mirage that will never satisfy. It's a house of cards that sooner rather than later will come crashing down. I am convinced there's a voice crying out in each one of us that says, there has to be more to life. And the truth is, there is. It's Jesus. Jesus is the source, the meaning, and the purpose of life. And without Him, you can exist. Without Him, you can go through the motions. But you will never really live without Him. He is life. And that's why Solomon says, 
remember, remember, remember your creator while you still can. No matter how many days you have left, live them wisely. Don't chase after bubbles. Live them with God. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for this day and this time we've had to meet together as First Church. And we just pray that as a church we will listen to the words of Solomon, spoken some 3,000 years ago and yet still true today. Father, we pray that we will not chase after meaningless things, we will not chase after bubbles, but Father, we will chase after what matters. And that's the life that you've given us. That's the life, that's a life with you. So, Father, we thank you so much for all that you've done for us, for sending Jesus to the cross. And may we live the life he died for us to live. In his name, Christ Jesus, I pray. Amen.